Hi, I'm Tom Salopek from Cross Asset Strategy. I'm joined today by Srini Ramaswamy, co-head of U.S. Rate Strategy and Interest Rate Derivative Strategist, Deepak Ozil. Welcome to you both. We've had a tremendous market stress recently with the, with the regional banks and the Swiss banks. What is this all telling us? I mean, given that, you know, if you look at our starting point, you know, we have, we've had this tug of war between growth risk and inflation risk and with the job market so strong, we, we do, it seems like we only had to worry about one of those things. And now we're talking about things like systemic contagion and comparisons to 2008. What is the market telling us right now? So maybe, Tom, I will get started. So let's take stock of what what happened last week before we get into any of the details. So what do we see? Like, what do we know? First of all, this seems to be an issue of deposits moving around. So deposit diversification, right? Like deposits are leaving smaller banks and they are either going to larger banks or they are going to money market funds. Money market fund assets under management, AUMs, they increase by over 200 billion. Home loan bank issuance increased significantly as as well compared to previous issuances. So I think they issued over 200 billion just last week. Fed's balance sheet changed quite a bit. So the Fed balance sheet grew, offsetting almost six months of QT in terms of just size, and it's now near September levels. And then the liability composition of the Fed balance sheet changed as well. So reserves increased by 400 billion, RRP declined. So all of these things we had not expected three weeks ago. And also discount window borrowing, like it reached record levels at 150 billion. And Fed introduced a new facility, BTFP. So a lot is happening, but what does all of this mean? So like I said, like we're seeing deposit flows from smaller banks to either larger banks or to money market funds. But let's take a step back and think about what are the balance sheet consequences of a rotation within like the system where deposits migrate into money market funds. So if you think about where deposits go into money market funds, money market funds use these inflows to buy newly issued FLUB paper or the home loan bank paper, and then banks at the same time replace this lost deposit funding with home loan advances. So from a bank's perspective, this is just a liability rotation. So the liabilities went from deposits into FHLB advances. And what on the money market fund side and on the FHLB side, this was an increase in sort of balance sheet size. So from the perspective of the Fed balance sheet, this is actually net neutral. So if all was happening was a migration or like a deposit migration story, all that was happening, I would have said it should have been Fed balance sheet neutral. But what we saw, right, the Fed balance sheet actually increased, reserves increased, RRP declined. So what we're also seeing at the moment is banks are proactively trying to get as much as liquidity as they can. So there is also proactive trying to strengthen the liquidity positions that's going at the same time as deposits are coming out of banks. And uh, if I can just add a little bit to what Ipek described, we, we, I guess we could say we're recording this you know, an hour or so after the Fed announcement today. And I think the highlights, you know, in terms of, you, know, you asked the question, Tom, what are, what are markets uh, reading into all of this? I think the markets are basically sort of reaching the conclusion, rightly in my view, that um, the Fed will probably pause sometime, you know, soon in the uh, in their hiking cycle and perhaps even ease. 
market as yields are falling pretty considerably today, I think in expectation of, or at least in reaction to the Fed's change in language, you know, like I think Chair Powell said, he highlighted the use of the words, some additional policy firming may be necessary. And he highlighted the, the, the words, you know, some and may. Um, so I think I think this is looking more and more like a sort of an episode of credit tightening. The there is so much that is uncertain at this point, but the markets are sort of trying to look ahead to a maturing cycle that at some point has to uh, you know come to an end. The hiking has to come to an end. I mean, they seem to have quality uncertainty in some respects in in the short run, and when when rates markets have repriced now, maybe it's it's eased the pain in other ways. Can you talk a little bit about ALCI, how banks are managing it, and what the situation is right now? Uh, sure. Um, so for, for those who may or may not know, uh, AOCI stands for Accumulated Other Comprehensive Income. And it's sort of a, you can think of it as a shadow marked market on securities that are held in, um, in available for sale portfolios on bank balance sheets. So long story short, when a bank holds securities in a so-called you know, uh, AFS portfolio, the mark to market on that, even though technically the accounting and the income, um, you know, for income purposes, it's not really mark to market, there is a way in which it is mark to market and it affects your capital positions. That is true for certainly the larger banks, which means, you know, if it has an impact on your capital, you have to sort of risk manage it. And banks usually pay close attention to their EOCI risk and use derivatives and so on to, to sort of manage that to what they want it to be. I guess it's worth noting that in 2022, you know, quarter after quarter brought higher rates and this uh, and negative sort of reductions in AOCI. But this quarter, the fourth quarter of 2022 is actually a modest positive for the largest, you know, four banks in aggregate that we, we track. Uh, and this quarter, at least so far, you know, the decline in yields has been pretty helpful. We think the top four banks probably in aggregate regained, you know, maybe four-ish, you know, four billion or so in sort of AOCI. For the, you know, sort of 10 banks that follow, it's uh, it's a similar number, you know, perhaps five to six billion in sort of improvements in AOCI, thanks to basically, um, you know, market repricing yields um, lower so far this quarter. Of course, we don't know where rates will finish the quarter, but as things stand around here, those are sort of the scale of improvements in AOCI. Now, we've had a lot of these comparisons with, uh, with 2008, and you guys did a write-up on this. Certain, certain aspects of the vol surface remind you of 2008, certain positionings of this, uh, that look promising. What are you guys seeing? Are these comparisons appropriate? I mean, volatility is certainly back to crisis era spikes. Uh, like the volatility surface that we wrote about, it's very similar to what it looked like in 2008. And with, I guess, the increase in volatility, market liquidity has hit rock bottom and is now near pandemic levels. So usually there is a correlation when the volatility spikes, market liquidity goes down. And it's important to think about like why that happens, right? Like, so liquidity is, liquidity in the markets is provided by risk takers and they usually have finite risk capital. And in a much more volatile wor world, the notional size of capital that they can provide into the market, it goes down because there is a lot of, a lot more risk associated with it. So overall, as volatility remains high, we're expecting a downward bias on liquidity. And it's probably going to take like a sustained um, periods of low vol volatility for this to really change. And 
moving to sort of bank securities, it's kind of like a similar story. With, as Srini mentioned, banks were hit with AOCI losses last year with increased rates. And we're at the moment in the middle of a stress period, which in part was also due to unrealized losses on securities. So you need more capital buffers, right? You're gonna need more capital buffers to withstand like AOCI volatility. So I think in the near term with the elevated volatility, banks are going to be reluctant reluctant to add any duration. So like the bank demand for securities is likely going to be lower as well as well. So in terms of volatility, it's going to be hard to predict what happens in the short run, just because volatility itself has been highly volatile. But in the longer term, we actually like um, switching out of like shorter tails into longer tails. So say out of two year tails into five and 10 years. And we also expect like with the increases in the mortgage convicted hedging demand that will likely pro provide some upward bias on longer expiry volatility. So, so just getting back to this topic of, uh, you know, going up in size uh, with regard to deposit migration, are banks able to handle that to what extent? Do, do they hit some kind of leverage constraint at some point? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, certainly the environment we're in is one where deposits are sort of leaving smaller banks and ho hopefully that, you know, those sorts of flows will stabilize, but uh, at least the flows from last week, et cetera, where it was really sort of um, migration of deposits into larger banks and or money markets. For the large banks, this is just a sort of a different an influx of deposits, um, you know, for different reasons, but it looks a lot like what banks were trying to cure, right? Like, so after the COVID era, you know, quantitative easing, which was, you know, large quantities of QE in short periods of time, that led to a lot of, um, you know, sort of reserves coming into the system, which for banks manifested as reserves on the asset side and deposits on the liability side and, and sort of a sudden spike in leverage, right? So, and long story short, one of the forms of capital rules that banks have to manage is, of course, the SLR or the leverage-based capital rule. And if your leverage goes up, leverage capital becomes uh, sort of a more binding constraint. The better part of 2021, uh, sort of the latter half of 2021 and you know much of 2022 was really all about banks sort of managing to get leverage you know down. And now we're sort of back in this world where leverage is you know going up for different reasons. We do think banks have the capacity to absorb influx of deposits, but it'll come at the cost of sort of eroding some of the progress in these SLR ratios, right? So as you absorb more deposits, the size of your balance sheet goes up and therefore your sort of capital to Q1 capital to leverage ratios, you know, sort of go down. Um, how much deposits the banking system can, the large banks can absorb will depend on how much appetite they have for, for sort of tolerating sort of these, um, you know, declines in SLR ratios. But we, we do think there's anywhere from, you know, 500 billion to one and a half trillion depending on, you know, like I said, the appetite for SLR ratio reduction. Um, so the capacity is out there uh, at the cost of, you know, sort of erasing some of the progress that banks have actually been trying to do in terms of um, sort of improving their leverage positions. Now, all that said, it's also likely that while leverage is a consideration, I think in this kind of environment, you know, banks, large banks will probably be willing to take in deposits. So we don't really see that as a big constraint or, or, or an issue. Okay, great. Well, thank you, Srini. Thank you, EPEC, for joining us. And thank you all for tuning in to JP Morgan TV.